0: Great, that, that went well. You may remember uh, a number of months ago, I shared with you that I felt that there was two messages that God had given me to carry, and I was sharing wherever I was going. Uh, one of them I uh, shared with you just uh, towards just before we went into the Confidence series, which was on um, Elijah and on occupying your space. The second I'd like to share with you today, which is from the passage that we're about to look at in John uh, chapter 11. Uh, full disclaimer, um, I did share on this subject from this passage a number of years ago in the church here on a Sunday night with a handful of people. Um, but I just feel that this morning, God would have it released within the soul of the church and within the main body of the church and the main gathering. Is that okay? Yeah. Great. I'm glad you said that. I don't know what I'd have done if you'd said no. No. <laughs> an interesting position. Right, we're going to read a huge chunk of scripture from John 11, and uh, we're going right through to verse 44. Now, a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Terry Chap. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know you'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Turn the page. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I'm sure like me, you've probably heard loads of sermons on the subject of Lazarus. And today we look at it slightly differently, for we look at it through the lens of purpose. Because this passage of scripture has a lot to teach us about purpose and about the purpose of God. And I think the reason that God would bring us to this passage today and to look at this is because God wants to bring some healing within our lives and some revelation to our understanding. As Christians, we journey through life and we have to go through many different things. And as we journey through those things, good things and not so good things and all the things in between, we journey through those whilst holding in tandem intention, the understanding and the belief that in everything, God has a purpose and his purpose is being outworked. And sometimes when we journey through things that aren't quite so great, sometimes when we journey through things that can be a little bit difficult, holding that belief that God's purpose is in this can cause pain and difficulty and upset wounding to the soul and God would seek to bring some healing to that this morning he would seek to bring to us some revelation and some understanding because God is currently in the process of bringing to us some soul restoration so we jump into the passage this morning and as we jump into we open up our hearts and our lives and we invite God to speak very clearly to us and we do so with an open heart allowing him to bring healing where he needs to bring healing does that sound okay well okay Let's jump into it anyway. As we arrive in this passage, the first four or five verses introduced to us the main characters within the story, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the first thing that is noticed and the first thing that is called out from this passage is the love of Jesus for this family and the love of this family for Jesus. In verse 2, we're introduced to Mary. And each character, as we're introduced to them, we're introduced to them as they are calling out their connection or it's called out their connection with Christ. Verse two, Mary is introduced and she's introduced to us as the one who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair and poured perfume on them. This is this moment of love, this moment of all-out adoration, this extreme moment of worship and it's called out to introduce Mary to us to demonstrate her heart of love towards Jesus. The incredible thing, of course, here is that this passage or this reference has not yet happened yet. In the order of the gospels, Mary wiping Jesus' feet with her hair has yet to happen, but yet John pulls it forward and he introduces it here. He slots in here as the introduction to Mary to call out that this woman has an incredible love for Jesus and Jesus has an incredible love for her. We then introduce to the main character of the story in verse three to Lazarus. And our introduction to Lazarus is in the message that was sent to Jesus, which reads as follows, Lord, the one you love is sick. And it's interesting that the messengers go to tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, but if you notice, Lazarus' name is not mentioned in the message at all. He's simply referenced as the one you love. And from that information, Jesus knows exactly who has been spoken about, which calls out the relationship that he has with Jesus. These guys are close. These guys are friends. You could almost say the best of friends. Lazarus is his brother from another mother, if you like. They're intimate and close. And then we come to verse 5, and it says in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And it's interesting the way that that's said, it's almost as though it should be read as, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus because the focus here is on Martha. He's already called out for us, John, that Jesus loves Lazarus. He's already called out for us that there is a close, intimate relationship between Jesus and Mary. Now he puts the spotlight on Martha and he says, Jesus loved Martha as well as the sister and as well as the brother. Each character, each member of the family is introduced in terms of their connection to Christ their relationship with Jesus. Now the love of this family for Jesus and the love of Jesus for this family is not the main point of this passage. The main point of this passage is that Lazarus is sick. This family is in a crisis. They're in a crisis situation. And that's interesting given the introduction because what we've been taught so far is that Jesus loves this family, but yet they're facing a crisis because just because God loves us doesn't mean that we're disqualified from crisis. And I think that's a really important point. We are loved by God. There is nothing that can stop him loving us. He loves us with every ounce and fiber of his being. And even when we love him with every ounce and fiber of our being, it does not disqualify us from journeying through difficulty and trials and hardships, crisis and tribulations. It's important then that from this we learn two things. One, that we refuse to build a theology that is devoid of suffering and trials. Every single one of us will face trials and tribulations. And we need to make sure, please, and I say this in the friendliest way, please, when you're watching your God TV telly box stuff, when you're watching your YouTube videos of hotshot preachers all around the world, please, Turn off any nonsense that declares that you have to prosper in every situation and that God's will and purpose for you is not that you have anything but constant blessing and mountaintop experiences because it's rubbish. We are loved by God and we love him with every ounce and fiber of our being, but we still have to journey through trials and tribulations, crisis and difficulty. And we must allow ourselves not to build a theology that is devoid of that, but also to refuse to allow our crisis to make us believe that just because we're going through difficult stuff, that doesn't mean that we're not loved by God. Just because we're facing hardship doesn't mean that he no longer loves us or we've fallen from grace. Our call is to journey through life with God in relationship with us, to journey every step in his care and every step with our hand in his. This family face a crisis. They do what all of us must do when we face a crisis. They send word to Jesus. They bring the crisis to Christ. And you'll notice That as they do, the message that they send reads as follows Lord, the one you love is sick. End of message. There is no request in that message. They do not ask Jesus of anything or for anything, they just communicate the information. And this suggests to us again the depths of relationship that exists between Jesus and this family because they believe that the information is enough to invoke a response. We all have those people in our lives whom we love so much that just the information of a crisis would make us drop everything and go, don't we? We don't need them to say, we're kind of going through some stuff, if you don't mind, if it's not too much of an inconvenience, at your earliest available possibility... If you could swing by and help, that would be great. There are people that we love so much that as soon as we know they're in crisis, hell and high water would not stop us from being there in that moment. This family possessed such a close relationship with Jesus that they believe the information is enough to invoke a response, and it does. Jesus gives a response, and his response is this. This sickness will not end in death, No, it's for God's glory so that God can be glorified in it. Jesus gets the information and he makes an announcement. You can almost see he makes a pronouncement, a pronouncement. He says, this sickness is not going to lead to death. The point of this sickness is not death. The result of this sickness is not death. What this sickness is going to point to is not death, it's glory. It's the glory of God. It's the glory of God's own son. This sickness is going to point to the glory of God. This sickness is going to result in and conclude in the glory of God. And that, even reading that statement is really challenging. Because in Christian circles, we're really good at calling out in the midst of our worship or in moments of prayer, God be glorified in every aspect of my life be magnified in every part of who I am every avenue, every aspect of who I am I pray that you would be glorified in it but what we've got to realise is that are we truly ready to say God be glorified in every aspect of our life because to pray that means that we don't only wear our breakthroughs and our answered prayers as badges of honour to glorify him but it actually means that we conduct ourselves in our struggles and our suffering in our trials and our difficulties we conduct ourselves in such a way even in the crisis the journey through the hard stuff and life brings glory to him. That's a challenge. We're really good at calling out when the supernatural stuff's happening and miracles are happening all over the place. Oh yes, God, be glorified in my life. We've got to make sure that when the rubber hits the road and we're journeying through the difficult stuff, that we journey through those things and we conduct ourselves and carry ourselves in such a way that even in the storms and the crisis, we glorify him. And if you think about this, Lazarus dies. It's his death that brings glory. It's the fact that he dies and then was resurrected that brought God glory. My real prayer is that even at the end of my days, when I breathe my last breath, may my death bring as much glory to God as my life did. However, the point here is that Jesus announces there's a point to this sickness And that's not death. In other words, Jesus says there's purpose in this. Jesus' announcement is one of purpose. He has a purpose in this moment. The messenger comes with the word, Lord, the one you love is sick. The response that's sent back, there's purpose in this. God has a purpose for this moment. We need to understand that in the crisis of life, God has a purpose in the trials and the difficulties and the heartache, God has a purpose. And we need to bring our crisis circumstances to him and listen to hear the purpose of God in that moment. All too often, as we chatted about last week, we come to God and we say, God, here's the crisis I'm going through, just in case you didn't know. And here's the three-point plan as to how I think you should fix it. And we keep coming to him and saying, Here's the crisis, and here's the three point plan as to how I think you should fix it. If you could do that sometime soon, that would be great. When in actual fact, what we need to do is to learn to come to God and say, Here's the crisis. Now, God, what's your purpose in this? And we take a moment to listen. And we take a moment to hear. And we take a moment to let God speak. And it's not wrong, it's a natural thing to come to God, the creator of the universe who loves us intensely and say, here's what I'm going through. Please, could you fix it and could you do it like this? Could you you do it this way? And we talk and we talk and we talk to him and he wants to hear what we've got to say. He wants to hear the contents of our heart, but it's important that we take time to listen to the contents of his. Because in these moments, he wants to call out his purpose. Jesus did in this situation. He says, here's the purpose. This is not going to end in death. Now, Jesus tells them, and we know the end of the story because we've read it. So we can see, actually, as he's speaking right now, he's calling out purpose. We can see that because we've read to the end. We see it clearly, but but they don't. He reveals to them the conclusion in this situation is not going to be death, it's going to be life. We know it because we know the ending of the story, but they don't. And here's the big truth. God's ways are higher than ours. And sometimes we don't quite perceive and understand the purpose of God in moments. If you think about this situation, they send the messenger, go and tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And he goes and he comes back and he says, this is what Jesus says. There's purpose in this and it's not going to end in death. And then they watch Lazarus die. Suddenly what they perceived as the purpose of God didn't make sense suddenly what they've heard from God doesn't match what they're experiencing. What they perceive from heaven doesn't make sense in light of what has been unfolded on earth. And do you know what? There are moments in which that happens when what we think God speaks doesn't match what we see unfolding. When what we hear from heaven doesn't match what is taking place in front of us on earth. When the purpose of God doesn't seem to make sense. Sometimes we don't catch the purpose of God. It doesn't make sense to us. And that's okay. It's the same thing happened to the disciples. Look at verse 11. It says, after he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And the disciples are like, Jesus, don't mean to be funny, but if he's sick and he's sleeping, shouldn't we just let him rest? Feel a bit better. They didn't get it. Verse 13, it says Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Jesus is calling out the purpose of God to them. And they don't get it. They don't catch it. What they're hearing from God doesn't make sense in light of what their understanding is happening on earth. They didn't get it. Initially, they didn't get it. They didn't get it at first, but I reckon that Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the disciples would probably be able to say, at first, I didn't see it, but looking back, I can now make sense of it. At first, I didn't quite catch it. But looking back, I can see the purpose of God in this. I can see the hand of God in this. Looking back, I can now see how what he said all makes sense. And you know, it's really important that as Christians, we build into our walk a retrospective vision. And when it comes to vision, we always talk about keeping our eyes forward and keeping our eyes front and looking to what is ahead and getting ready for what is to come. But it's important that we also build in a retrospective vision that we look back on the journey that we've been on and trace the hand and the purpose of God through those previous seasons because when we look back and begin to see the hand of God, when we look back we come to the place of saying oh, I didn't quite understand what was happening there but now I can see what God was doing now what he said makes sense now I can see where I am based on where I was and what I've been through, now all of this seems to make sense, it comes together, the pennies drop. the pieces click, I can see the bigger picture when we allow ourselves to look back and see the hand of God in previous seasons then we come to a place of realising wasn't, that wasn't a wasted season there was value in that when we look back and can see how God was at work and we trace the hand of God and see how all those pieces came together to bring us to where we are now we can look back and instead of cursing those seasons we bless them we thank God for them instead of being angry and upset actually we find healing to understand I went through that because now I see the purpose now I get it that was a valuable season in my life I'm grateful for that season. Actually, that season has shaped who I am and what I am. It's shaped where I am. That season, what I've been through, those circumstances and that journey is now part of my testimony. And part of my mandate. It's really important that we build in a retrospective vision. Come back with me to verse five. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when He heard that Lazarus was sick. He stayed where he was two more days. This seems like a really confusing moment, doesn't it? The message from the sisters makes no request, but the inference is there. That's why they're telling him. Telling him he's sick, because the inference is we want you to come. We need you to come. We need you in this situation. But even though that's the message, Scripture says, yet Jesus stayed where he was. The weird thing is that in the original language, the word yet is translated as so. So Jesus stayed where he was. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And when he heard he was sick, he stayed where he was. It's almost implying that because Jesus loved this family, he stayed that his love for them delayed him in going to them. That seems a bit contradictory because we just said earlier there are people in our lives that we love so much that as soon as we know there's problems, our love for them has us right with them. But yet this passage says that his love for them stopped him going, made him delay. Jesus delayed in acting in their crisis because he loved them. If Jesus had acted instantly and healed Lazarus of his sickness, they would have missed out on the greater that God had in store for Lazarus and his family. There's seasons in life and times and moments when we come before God and we say, God, here is the situation and here's the crisis and here's what we want you to do about it. And there's times in which it can feel a little bit as though as we pray those things, the heavens are brass and the doors are shut. And we look and we can't seem to see the presence of God or the action and the activity of God within the situation, and we can feel downheartened and downtrodden. The truth is, just because He doesn't act doesn't mean He doesn't love us. Sometimes He delays in acting because He has something greater in store for us. Jesus delayed in acting because He had something greater in store. If He had acted instantly, they would have missed out on the greater that he had in store. There was a revelation and an understanding he wanted to bring to them, which we'll come to in a moment. There was a tremendous testimony and ministry that he wanted to give to them, a purpose that he had specifically even just for Lazarus. And if he had acted instantly, they would have missed all of that. His delay was about allowing God's plan to be put into action instead of theirs. And you know, sometimes God delays in his actions not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. Sometimes he delays in order for the plan and the purpose of God to trump ours. When we come to him and we say, here's the situation, here's the plan, here's what I want you to do. Sometimes that plan has to die before God's plan can come to life. Sometimes our plan and agenda as to how we want God to work needs to come to an end before we can begin to perceive God's plan. Because we look with the blinker, this is the way that we want you to work, this is how we think you can solve this and fix this, and really, unless he works that way, we can't see him. It's like we put the blinkers on, that this is the only way that we can perceive the activity of God in that moment, is if he works according to our plan. So sometimes he delays to allow our plan to die to make space for his plan to come to life. He delays so that we can experience the greater. There's a few other reasons why Jesus delayed here, I reckon. Verse 14 says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, if the purpose of God was to bring life from death in this situation, then it makes sense that Jesus wanted to wait until Lazarus was dead to go. That kind of makes sense. But why wait four days? Again, if the purpose is to bring life from death, then you're gonna need to wait until he's dead to go and do that. But why did he need to wait until he was really, really, really dead? Why did he need to wait until he was pan-breeded? And I think there's a few reasons. Firstly, it was the custom mainly due to the climate that when someone passed away, the burial happened very quickly. The reason for that was so that the body wouldn't begin to decompose in the incredible heat. So burial usually happened on the same day that somebody died. And in a day and age in which there weren't as many medical advancements as there are now, it was not uncommon for someone to wake up inside their tomb a little bit distressed (laughs) and unsure about what's going on. Apparently people were sometimes buried alive, not buried in the ground because they didn't tend to do that as much, but buried in tombs. Jesus waited, he delayed in acting so that Lazarus walking out of the grave could never be a buried alive story but would always be a God made me alive story. He waited so that the demonstration of power was undeniably God. Another reason why I think he waited was because, and why he waited four days, was because of a Jewish belief that they had that the spirit of an individual hovered around the body for up to four days after someone passed, looking to re-enter. And the belief was, and sorry if you're of a weak disposition, but the belief was that around about the fourth day, the body began to decompose and therefore the spirit wouldn't recognize the body and would stop trying to re-enter and move on. Jesus waited four days to make sure that what would happen could never be mistaken for superstition, but could only ever be viewed as a supernatural move of God. Ultimately, Jesus' delay was about making the way. It was about preparing a platform for a resurrection, which we've already said he called out. That was the purpose of God in that situation. His delay was about making room for the purpose of God. Sometimes it can be hard in life when we don't see God move the way that we want him to within the timescale that we want him to in the format or the function or the way that we want him to. But what we have to understand is that God's delay doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. His delay is about allowing his plan to trump ours, is about making room for the greater, is about setting the scene, making space for the purpose of God to manifest in a way that is undeniably God. He is making the way for God's supernatural power to be demonstrated without question. Now, we said that another reason that Jesus delayed was that he wanted to bring a revelation and an understanding about himself. And this is seen in the moment when Jesus approaches Bethany and Martha comes out to meet him. Look at verse 21. It says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Here is another moment when Jesus announces purpose. He announces the purpose of God to Martha this time. He says, your brother's gonna rise again. That's an announcement of the purpose of God. That's an announcement of what God is about to do. But even though he announces it, Martha doesn't get it. She's like, I know he's going to rise again. He's going to rise again on the last day at the resurrection. So Jesus drops a truth bomb. He's like, I am the resurrection. He says, the resurrection is here. The resurrection is standing right in front of you. He drops a truth bomb into her mix and turns her whole belief system upside down. And this is something that we need to grasp in our theological understanding. The resurrection isn't an event. It isn't a particular day It's a person and his name is Jesus. Jesus is life. It's Jesus' grace that saved our soul. It's his death and resurrection that gave us the hope of glory. In fact, Jesus in us is the hope of glory. He has prepared a place for us in the Father's house. He has secured our eternal destination. Our access to the Father is by his blood. He has redeemed us. We are seated with him in heavenly places. We have a citizenship in the whole realm of glory. And it's for his return which we watch and we wait when Jesus will pierce the clouds and announce his arrival riding on the clouds in his majesty and splendor and the call of his voice will see the dead in Christ rise to meet him in the air and we will be transformed to be like him. This hope, this assurance, this truth, this life, this eternity, this resurrection is all about Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. He is life, which means wherever he is, he releases life. And this truth is something that Martha is about to experience and understand as Jesus is about to call her brother out of the grave. He's going to prove that where he is, there is life. That he is the resurrection. Martha received a completely transformed understanding and knowledge of Jesus. That he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. That he was the resurrection, the life, and the power. Had Jesus come when they first called for him and healed Lazarus, she would never have had that. She would never have had that revelation. And I would suggest perhaps neither would we. Sometimes God delays, not because he doesn't love us anymore, but because actually he wants to teach us. He wants to grow us. He wants to deposit revelation and understanding, life transforming revelation and understanding that changes who we are. the big thing that we also need to learn is that the purpose of God will always teach us about the God of our purpose. And therefore, as we pursue our purpose in life, as we watch it unfold on our journey, we need to allow the pathway of purpose to take us deeper in a knowledge and understanding of the God of our purpose. We need to journey looking and deepening our understanding. God, what are you teaching us? What are you revealing us? What does this teach me about God? But I reckon that probably when we allow the pathway of purpose to teach us about God, it accelerates the journey along that path. Now, by the time that Jesus has come to Bethany, mourners were told have come from Jerusalem to the house of Mary and Martha. The initial few days after someone died was the official periods of mourning, in which the greater, in terms of intensity and volume, the greater the mourning that took place denoted the greater the honor. That was being bestowed on the individual who had passed. So people would often employ mourners to come to their house and cry and weep and wail quite loudly. Queen's Park could probably supply a few fans to help with that situation. But they would employ mourners to come and cry and weep and wail to denote to the wider community that this person was loved and honoured and respected. These mourners come to Mary and Martha's house, and their house is filled with mourning. The culture of death and mourning has moved into their home. What is interesting is that the text says that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And then she came back and she got Mary, and she took Mary out to meet him. But at no point did Jesus enter that house. It's interesting. Jesus comes to them, but he never enters the house. And I think the reason for that is because that house is carrying the culture of death, and Jesus carries the culture of life. That house is marked the culture of death. He comes carrying the culture of life. And when you look at that, two influences arrive in this, these women's lives at the same time. One is carrying with it the influence in the culture of death, and the other is carrying with him, the influence and culture of life. The challenge there is, what culture do we carry? What turns up when we turn up? What walks in the room when we walk in the room? What enters when we do? What influence do we bring? Is it life-giving? Or is it death? Now, when I mean that, I don't mean that when you turn up, folks start dying If you have that unique anointing, please have full permission to leave the church early (laughs) and go home and find somewhere else to (laughs) attend. What I mean is when you show up, does life show up? Is the culture that you carry life-giving, joy-producing, hope-releasing, peace-instilling? Or do you carry a culture that is quite opposite to that? Let me be a wee bit more direct. Maybe a wee bit more timely. What culture does your social media profile carry? Because we live in a digital age now in which actually digitally people have a window right into our souls, right into our lives. People by their hundreds and thousands can see right into who we are. So let me ask you the question. When someone scrolls down their feed and lands on your posts, what culture do they carry? When someone opens your Snapchat, looks at your Instagram story, reads your tweets and Twitters, what do they encounter? Is it life giving and producing, or is it the opposite? And let's be really direct and clear taking public pot shots at politicians and public leaders, calling them all sorts of names, making fun of them, and posting really cruel and obscene things about them, that's not life giving. Church, we should stop that right away. It's not life giving. Posting videos and stories that maybe aren't the most appropriate at times, that maybe don't quite reflect the culture, the ethos that we claim to carry, that's not appropriate. What culture shows up when we do? Maybe we need to begin to look at the language that we use and the words that we speak and the tone that we carry and the attitude that we have and the mindset that we possess. Maybe we need to look at those things and please understand as I'm being a wee bit direct and passionate about this, I am deeply convicted So don't visit my Facebook profile till I've had a look at it. (laughs) But what culture do we carry? Again, Jesus turns up, he's the bringer of purpose in this moment. He's carrying life, but that house is marked by death, so he stands outside. He stands in contrast to the custom of the world. He stands in contrast to the spirit that's at work. He's operating in the opposite spirit. And as he does, he releases the supernatural into that moment and unfolds the purpose of God, which teaches us if we want to see the purpose of God unfold in the environments round about us, if we want to see the supernatural invade, it's really simple. We just start operating in the opposite spirit to that which is at work in the world. Because the spirit of God is not the spirit of this world. So when we begin to function in the opposite spirit, we create a venue for the spirit of God to invade and supernatural stuff happens. The bigger challenge is, Jesus turns up and Martha leaves the house to go and meet him. Mary has to leave the house to go and meet him. Sometimes we need to remove ourselves from influences and cultures in order to connect with the person, the presence, and the purpose of Christ. There's moments in which we need to cut off influences. There's moments in which we need to step away from particular characters and cultures. There's moments in which relationships need to end and doors need to be closed. There's moments in which we need to step away in order to step into Christ, to cut ourselves off in order to connect with the person, the presence, and the purpose of God. Jesus turns up. Look at the dialogue. Verse 21, Martha says to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 32, Mary says to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 37, the mourners say of him, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Mary, Martha, and the mourners, they all say the same thing. If you'd been here, he would not have died, but you weren't here, so he is dead. Now we can read that and we can say these are statements of faith. I don't think they are. I don't think they're statements of faith statements in which they're questioning the motives of his heart. If you'd been here, you wouldn't have died and you weren't here, so he did die. What's with that? And I put to you, I don't have time to unpack it, but based on the original language in which it's written, that's why Jesus wept. Yes, he wept because he felt the emotion of those around about him. Yes, he wept because he cared for his friends. Yes, he wept because he cared for those that were grieving and mourning. But he wept because those around about him questioned the motives of his heart. See, the problem is that they viewed Lazarus' death as the end. When Jesus had already specifically said this sickness will not end in death, the purpose of God in this moment is not that this is the end, but yet that is how they view this circumstance. They are interpreting the purpose of God through the circumstances of life instead of interpreting the circumstances of life through the lens of the purpose of God. Martha did it. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus says he's going to rise again. And she's like, I know he'll rise on the last day. Her view is if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. You weren't here, he is dead. So God's purpose must now be to raise him on the last day. She's interpreting the purpose of God through the experience of life. And how often do we do that? How often do we assume that the outcomes in front of us are God's purpose for us and settle for them and accept them? How often do we come out with statements like, what's for you won't go by you? How often do we come out with these statements that this is what's meant to be, things that are meant to be happen and they happen for a reason. How often do we come out with these statements that show that actually what we do is we look at the circumstances in front of us and interpret the purpose of God through the lens of the circumstances of life when in actual fact, we need to interpret the circumstances of life through the lens of his purpose and say, God, this is what's going on. Now tell me, is this your purpose for me? Because if the answer's no, it's going to need to move. If the answer is no, if this is not your purpose for me, then it's going to need to get out of the way. If the answer is no, I'm going to push right through this. I refuse to accept this. It's important that we come not just with a three-point plan of how you should fix it, but we come and we listen to purpose and we come and perceive, is what this is happening right now the purpose of God for my life? If not, it's going to need to conform and bend. It's going to need to move. Jesus turns up and he releases purpose in this moment. Here's some final points that we pull out from what Jesus does. First thing he does, which I love, is he asks for the stone to be rolled away. (laughs) He removes the obstacles to the purpose of God coming to pass. He literally removed the literal blockage to Lazarus walking out the tomb. If he hadn't removed the stone, he would have said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus would have walked into a stone wall. He removed the stone So he could come out, he removed the blockage, the obstacle. When Jesus turns up in our circumstances, the first thing that he does is remove that which is a blockage or an obstacle to the purpose of God coming to pass in our lives. He gets to work to remove the things that are in the way of his plans and his purposes. We've just got to be careful that when doors close and relationships end and influences wane, that we don't start trying to put them back in place again. He comes and he cuts away. He comes and he shakes things up. He comes and removes and sifts from our lives that which is in the way. Just be careful not to plant what he's uprooting. The next thing that he does is he speaks into the situation. Verse 43, it says, he called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth Jesus is releasing the purpose of God in this moment and as he releases the purpose of God he calls he's calling out the purpose of God and this is really simplistic but the calling from God will reveal your purpose in God if your purpose is to serve the disadvantaged in third world countries he's not going to call you to drive a bus in Castle Milk your calling will match your purpose your calling will reveal your purpose Press into him and find your calling. Jesus calls to reveal purpose and he begins by calling Lazarus, come forth. He could have just said, come forth. Everybody knows who's in the tomb. All his friends and family are there. All the people are there weeping and wailing and gnashing their teeth, calling out his name and all that. Everyone knows who's inside. He could have just said, come forth, but he didn't. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, some people say the reason for that is because if he just said, come forth, the whole realm of death would have emptied. I don't really buy that. I don't buy that. He says, Lazarus, Because the calling in this moment is personal. It's specific to Lazarus. It's instructional and directional. Lazarus, right now, here is what I want you to do. I want you to come out of the tomb. This is God's purpose for your life right at this moment that you walk out of that tomb. You can view this as instructional and directive, but you can also view it as authoritative. You can hear authority in his voice. This is like a command. And that is exactly how we must view the purpose and the calling of God in our lives. It is specific and personal to us. Nobody else on the face of the earth has the calling and the purpose and the mandate on your life that you do. You are 100% unique in the plan and the purposes of God. His purpose for your life is instructional and directional. We don't need to guess what God would have us do. We don't need to lick our fingers and stick them in the wind in the hope that eventually we'll pick up what it is he wants us to do. We just ask him and he tells us. And when he does, our call is our command from God. Responding to the plan and the purpose of God is all about obedience. It's not an optional extra. It is the mandate It is the command from heaven on our lives. We need to come and listen, hear his purpose, and accept it as a command from God over us. In response to Jesus, Lazarus comes walking out of the tomb. Now, I don't know about you, but seeing dead people coming out of tombs is not something that I've seen that often. That's not natural. It's supernatural. And here's the thing. The purpose of God is so profoundly supernatural. Oh, God doesn't really do that for me. I don't really see supernatural stuff. Is there a mandate and a call in your life? It is profoundly supernatural. The purpose of God contains the power of God to produce what it commands. If you remember nothing from this sermon today, remember this. The purpose of God contains the power of God to produce what it commands. His word will not return to him void. If he said it, it will happen. So hold on to it. If he's spoken a call and a purpose over your life, it will happen. You can believe it. You can trust it. Don't give up on it. It will happen. The purpose of God contains the power of God to produce what it commands. When Lazarus came walking out of the grave, the first thing that was said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Remove from him the traits of death and set him free. The purpose of God sets us free. It sets us free to live the life that we are called to live. As Phil reminded us the other week, there is no freer or safer place to be than in the very center of the purpose of God. There is freedom in pursuing his purpose. I guarantee you this you will never find freedom until you pursue the purpose of God that is on your life. True and lasting freedom is only found when you get in step with the call of God over your life. Let's wrap this up. After this magnificent moment where Lazarus walks out of a tomb, it's a massive thing, huge thing, but yet he only gets one other mention in the Bible. And it's in the next chapter, John chapter 12. When a dinner is held in Lazarus's honour, and Lazarus is reclining at the table, and it says there in verse nine. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Look at this: for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. This is one of the few moments I can think of in Scripture where it tells us that crowds of people turned up somewhere, not just because of Jesus, but to see Lazarus too. And we're told here that people were putting their faith and trust in Jesus because of what God had done in Lazarus' life. God's purpose for Lazarus was that he be resurrected and given a whole new testimony to the gospel, a whole new testimony that God would use to bring other people to faith in Jesus. There are moments in which God delays in our lives and he's setting things up and he's moving the pieces around and he's bringing everything into alignment and he is stamping all over our lives a brand new testimony that he will use to bring people to faith in him. The purpose of God will completely transform our lives. It will completely transform our testimony and a life that is changed and pursuing the purpose of God is a life that God will use to bring other people to faith in Jesus. When we pursue our purpose, we pursue the most supernatural thing on the face of the earth that God uses to change lives. Mary, Martha and the mourners, as they stood at the tomb, they viewed this as the end. But God purposed otherwise and here is an amazing truth. When the world puts a full stop, God puts a comma and begins to write his story. God takes natural conclusions and makes them supernatural beginnings because where there is no way, God will always make a way. So we've got to be careful not to perceive conclusions in life. We've got to be careful not to accept the law in front of us and begin to perceive the purpose of God through the lens of that. Actually, we've got to come and we've got to listen. We've got to hear the purpose of God because moments in which the road comes to an end, moments in which the obstacle seems too big, moments in which the struggle is too real, well, God takes those natural conclusions and he makes them his supernatural beginnings. Just because he delays doesn't mean he doesn't love us. He's letting his plan and purpose trump ours. He's moving the pieces around. He's setting things up. He's bringing revelation and understanding. He's shaping a testimony in our lives because he takes natural conclusions and he makes them supernatural beginnings. Lazarus' purpose was to be resurrected and given a whole new testimony to the gospel. And we hear this and we read this and we think this is amazing. But here's the big truth. Lazarus still had to endure the pain and the suffering of sickness and the pain of death before he could experience his purpose. Let's be clear and put the prosperity nonsense in its bag and in the bin. Pursuing the purpose of God is not without pain. Pursuing the purpose of God is not without striving and difficulty. There will be real hard times. There will be real struggles. But it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Lazarus had to go through some of those difficult things before he could experience his purpose. And the experience of his purpose was only found in the experience of the one who was the resurrection and the life. It was when they sent word to Jesus when they brought the crisis to Christ, when Christ stepped into that situation, that purpose began to unfold. The experience of our purpose flows out of the experience of the person, the power, and the presence of Jesus. We can only experience purpose when we experience the presence of Christ. We can only function in our purpose when we begin to flow in the power of Jesus. We can only truly embrace purpose when we embrace the person of Jesus Christ church this morning let's step into an experience of Jesus let's embrace our purpose but today let's allow him to bring healing to our hearts and our lives to bring revelation and understanding perhaps to the journey that we've been on just because he delays doesn't mean that he doesn't love you it means quite the opposite He has something great in store and it's about to be unfolded in your life.